Today, I want to encourage you, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've been, no matter where you've been in life, no matter what you've done in life, God knows how to turn your mess into a message. He knows how to turn your um, your trial into a testimony, your test into a testimony. Can anybody say amen to that? You know, if you think about it, life is messy. I'm going to talk to you about uh, I'm going to talk to you about something today called know your rights. I want to teach you how to know your rights as a child of God. We have to understand that life is messy. If you consider for a moment the trend of messy lives among those people in the Bible, you think about it. Adam, the first man, was a blame shifter. He blamed his wife for what he did. Eve blamed Satan for what she did. Cain, the firstborn human being, murdered his brother. Uh, Noah, what was the Bible calls a righteous man on earth, was drunk and slept naked. I don't know that that's necessarily wrong that he slept naked, but he um, I mean, go for it. Just, you know, just keep it to yourself. Abraham, the father of our faith, let other man let, let another man take his wife while he claimed she was his sister. Sarah, one of the most beautiful women in the world, let her husband sleep with their maid and then hated her for it. Lot, who lost his father early in life, chose the wrong company when he went to Sodom and Gomorrah. Job, um, who displayed the epitome of faith, suffered from uh, blaming God for his situation and blaming his wife. Isaac, who was nearly killed by his father, talked his wife into concealing their marriage. Rebecca, the first mail-order bride, turned out to be a manipulative wife. Jacob, who, uh, who wrestled with God, was a pathological liar. Rachel, who wrote the book on love at first sight, was a kleptomaniac, kleptomaniac who stole. Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, uh, slept with his father's concubine. Moses, the humblest man on the face of the earth, at least that's what he called himself, had a problem with anger. Aaron and Miriam, the brother and sister of Moses, were jealous and selfish, and they judged uh, Moses and were mad that Moses was being used by God. Samson was hopelessly enmeshed with a disloyal wife, and Miriam or excuse me, Eli was a hopelessly incapable father who lost his sons to immorality. Saul, the most powerful, first most powerful king, was a psychotic with manic bursts of anger, episodes of deep depression, and traces of paranoia. David, the friend of God, concealed his adultery with murder. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, was arguably the world's greatest sex addict with a thousand different sexual partners. He had 300 wives and 700 concubines or 700 wives and 300 concubines. I can't I, I, I can't remember, but it was that's pretty bad. I mean, when a guy like him, no one could ever satisfy him. With rare exception, all the kings that followed Solomon had mammoth issues in their lives. Hosea grappled with pain and was a nymphomaniac. The prophets struggled with impurity, depression, unfaithfulness, unfaithful spouses, broken families. So what is the lesson that we learn from this? That, listen, dysfunction, 
does not disqualify you from being used by God. Dysfunction in your life, dysfunction in your family, dysfunction in your upbringing, dysfunction in your life right now does not disqualify God from loving you, does not disqualify God from using you, does not disqualify God from having mercy on you, does not disqualify God from doing great things with your life. You might be a righteous mess, but you are his righteousness. Hey, you might say, man, my life's a mess, but, you, but you're a righteous mess. You might be a righteous mess, but you are his righteousness. And when you get a hold of this, nothing will stop you from experiencing all that God has for you. Now, most of us are not like David. Most of us haven't failed to that level. But even if you have, God still turned David's life around. Even if you have blown it beyond compare, God can still pick up the pieces and you can't unscramble the eggs, but God can. You can't unscramble your eggs, but God can. That's how good God is. That's how good God is. No matter how far you've fallen, you have the right to get back up. You have the right to get back up. No matter how far, no matter how many times you've fallen. You know, Proverbs 24, 16 says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. A righteous man may fall seven times. Seven is the number of perfection. That means you might have perfectly fallen. You might have fallen completely. It's the number of completion. You might have fallen to the point where you have completely fallen in every way. And the Bible says a righteous man gets back up. You have the right to get back up. And we need to know our rights, because if you don't know your rights when you fall, if you don't know your rights when you fall, you will stay condemned. If you don't know your rights when you sin, if you don't know your rights when you're a mess, if you don't know your rights when you mess up, then you will probably make things worse. That's why we have to know our rights. You know, as an American citizen, if you are an American citizen here, you have certain rights as an American citizen. Now, you may not be exercising those rights. For example, you have the right to vote. You might not you might not have voted, but you had the right to vote. So you can never say, well, I don't I just I just can't stand what's going on in America today. But you didn't use your right. See, you can't say I just can't stand being sick all the time. Well, you don't have to be a victim of sickness once you know that you have the right to healing. You see, when you know your rights, you're no longer a victim. When you know your rights, you're no longer a complainer. When you know your rights, you're no longer a whiner. When you know your rights, you're no longer you no longer settle for a mediocre life. When you know your rights, you don't stay down when you've fallen down. You might have gone down, but you get you get to get up. You have one of your rights is the right to get up. Well, I'm a little ahead of myself, but that's good because I'm going to catch up to myself in just a second here. Just hang in there. Now go over it with me to John chapter one, verse 12. Know your rights. Everybody say know your rights. See, there are certain rights that you have as an American. There are certain rights you have if you're a Brit, uh, if you're British, there are certain rights you have in your country where you're from. And there are certain rights that we have as sons and daughters of God. So he says, but as many as received him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Now, who are these rights for? 
those who what? To as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. What's his name? Anybody believe in that name? Anybody believe Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead? Then you have been given the right to become a child of God. And another translation of this verse says to as many as received him to them, he gave them the rights of the children of God. He gave them the rights of the children of God. So so children have the rights that their parents give them. So in my in my family, my children have certain rights that my neighbor's kids don't have from me. And the neighbor's kids have certain rights from their parents that 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 my kids don't have. My kids have rights based on their father and their mother, their parents. And so we have rights as children of God. And and once you realize what God is like, once you realize that he gives us rights as children of God, then you begin to not only expect those things, but you begin to 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 you begin to realize or experience those things. And too many Christians are living below their privileges. They're living below their rights. You have certain rights and you should learn to exercise those rights and expect those rights and live like those are your rights because that's what they are. But it's our ignorance in knowing our rights and our inability to learn how to exercise those rights that are keeping us from experiencing all that our heavenly father intended for us. So now where did we get these rights? He said to as many as receive him to them, he gave the rights to become children of God. And if you go over to Second Corinthians 521, we see how we obtain these rights in Second Corinthians 521. Look at what he says. It says, for he who knew no sin, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. Second Corinthians 521. Look at what he says for he who knew no sin. Who is that? Who is he talking about there? Jesus knew no. Jesus never sinned. So the father made Jesus something. He made him to be sin for us so that we would be made something. He was made something so that we would be made something. This is called an exchange. This is called an exchange. There is an exchange that takes place. It's not mixed. It is a complete exchange. If you got a certain gift at Christmas that you didn't like, somebody gave you something and it didn't fit or it wasn't your style, you take it back to the store. And what can what do you get to do? You get to exchange it. You don't keep both. You don't cut both in half and take half of one and half of the other. You exchange it completely. You have one or the other. And when it comes to what this scripture is talking about, you're either one or the other. You're either a sinner or you are the righteousness of God. And we're all born as sinners. And that's why Jesus became sin for us so that we could become something brand new. And what does he say we become? We become the the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means two things quite simply. The righteousness of God means we have the right. We are in right standing with God. We're right with God. And number two, it means we have the rights of God. We have certain rights that he gives us God given rights and we are in right 
standing with God. We are right with God. So when a preacher says you better stop smoking and you better stop cussing and you better stop drinking if you want to be right with God, that sounds right, but it's not right because stopping those things or quitting those things are definitely healthier for you. But those things do not make you right with God. Only one thing makes you right with God. Jesus became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. That's it. Nothing less and nothing more makes you righteous. Now, religion has told us, well, this, if you do this better, that makes you more righteous. No, you cannot be more righteous than you are today. You cannot be more of a sinner when you're born and you can, than, than what you are. You're, we're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all born into this world as sinners. And that's why we need to be born again. And when you're born again, you are made something new. And what is that? You become the what? Righteousness of God. You become the what? I want everybody to say it. It's all on the screen. It's an open book test. You, you, when, when, when you get born again, Jesus takes your sin. He becomes sin for us on the cross and you become what? The righteousness, the righteousness of God in him. What do you become? You become you become what? The righteousness of God in him. So this is what you are. Say, I am the righteousness of God in him. That means say that. Say that means I am right with God and I have God given rights. Now, if you don't know, if you don't know what those rights are, you're going to have the right to those rights, but you're not going to experience them. You're not going to enjoy them. You're going to live a defeated life and Satan is going to rob you of the life that God intended for you. You have to know what those rights are so that you can know what to access so that you can know what to expect so that you can know what to pray for so that you can know uh, so that you can know uh, what to believe for so that you can know how to live and how to think and how to how to operate in this in this world that wants to condemn you. And it's sad that we don't even need. You know how sometimes it's not your enemies that are really the problem in our lives. It's our, it's our friends that don't understand how to how to treat us or how to talk to us or how to relate to us. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, if you're if you're if your enemy hurts you, you're ready for that. You're expecting that. But when your friend hurts you, the, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that that it's it's Satan is really not Satan's been defeated. Right. What de, what defeats us is our ignorance, the ignorance that we have concerning our rights yes. as children of God. Yes. Now, if you look over here with me to um, Luke 12, 32, I want to read this to you from the New American Standard Bible. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Now, notice what he says here. It's something very powerful. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. If you have your Bible, look there. I'll show it to you as well. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Now, he gives us a lot here. He tells there's this is a lot in this verse that's very powerful. A lot of a lot of nuggets we can we can put in our bag of golden nuggets and, and walk away with. He says, do not be afraid. So he's about to tell us how to be free from fear. He's about to tell us how to be free from fear. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, 
for your father. So you need to number one, what will set you free from fear is knowing that God is your father. Jesus is talking here and he's saying your father. He's not just my father. He's your father. That's why when they said, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, pray this way, our father, like he included us. And he said, my father is your father. He's our father. And he says here, your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Now, there is some powerful stuff here. He's chosen gladly. In other words, he has made a choice. And when God makes a choice, he never goes back on it. God makes quality choices and he has chosen to give you the kingdom. But aren't you glad it doesn't say he has chosen reluctantly to give you the kingdom. He's chosen angrily to give you the, the kingdom or or he's chosen because he's so frustrated with you. Like, I'm so fed up with this kid. Fine, I'm going to give him the kingdom. You know how some parents are. The kid keeps whining, keeps complaining. And the parent says, fine, I'm going to give him what he wants just so he gets off my, you know, he's just been getting on my nerves. You, God has not chosen to give you the kingdom because you got on his nerves. God chose to give you the kingdom gladly. It's with joy. It's with happiness. He is happy to do it. He's glad to do it. And when you, look, when you get a hold of this is what God is like. You stop walking around begging, for, begging God to do stuff. He's already chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You don't have to beg him for anything. He's already chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You don't have to pray and fast for six days or seven days or six weeks to get God to do something. He's already chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. That word give means you do not have to earn it. You do not have to work for it. It doesn't say he's chosen gladly to sell you the kingdom. He doesn't sell anything to you. He already paid for it. Nothing's for sale. It's all free. It costs Jesus everything, but now it's yours and you got to start living like it's yours and living like your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom and living with an attitude. You start living like this, you're going to pray with power. You start living. Like, and look, this is the very thing the devil hates the most. Remember, we read this in Acts chapter 13, verse 10. The devil is the enemy of all righteousness. He's the enemy of what? He's the enemy of all righteousness. Why is he the enemy of righteousness? Why is he the enemy of all righteousness? The devil is the enemy of all righteousness because he knows when you know that you're the righteousness of God, you're dangerous. You're dangerous to the devil. You're dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. You're dangerous when you pray. Look, if you don't know that you're the righteousness of God, this is how you'll pray. Oh, no, you pray like uh, like what's his name? Oliver Twist. If I could just have a piece of bread, if I could just, would you just spare a piece of little, could you just help little Oliver? Okay, nobody knows that scene. Uh, I don't even know it. I'm just making that up. But, but that's how people end up. Praying, oh God, if you could just, you know, we get all British when we're, when we're afraid. Oh God, if you could, if you could just spare a little miracle, if I could just have a little healing, if I could just have, oh God, just a little breakthrough. Oh Lord, if it be thy will. God's like, what is the matter with these people? I've chosen gladly to give them the kingdom and they're acting like I'm stingy. They're acting like I'm holding something back from them. They're acting like they got to beg. You don't have to beg God for anything. He's your heavenly father. He's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Boy, what if what if just the people in this room and those that are joining us 
or wherever they're watching from. What if we really got a hold of this? And if we, just us, knew our rights as children of God, we would change this world. Amen. Because every time you prayed, you'd know it was going to happen. Every time you gave, you'd know a harvest is coming. Every time you forgave somebody, you'd know that you'll that there's nothing holding you back from all the freedom that God gave you and, and, and paid for you to have. It, it, Every time that we ever gathered together, we would expect miracles. We wouldn't be like we wouldn't be begging and 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 pleading and making deals with God. He's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. There is no deal you have to make with God. We do not have to make promises to God to get God to keep his promises to us. God keeps his promises to us because he swore in his own blood to keep his promise to you. You're the righteousness of God. That means you have rights. Well, what rights do you have? Let's go through a few of them. I know we went through some of these last time, but we need to hear this over and over again because you've got to expect these things to happen in your life. You've got to believe for these things and expect these things in your life and know that these are your rights. Because look, aren't you ready to give up your life of struggle? Aren't you ready to give up a life of fretting about the future and worrying about what's going to happen and and uh, living in the highs and lows and never feeling like you're pleasing to the Lord and never feeling like you're approved and never feeling like you've done enough and always feeling like there's something missing? Aren't you aren't you ready to give up that kind of life and start living a life where you're having the joy and the time of your life? And when you pray, man, miracles happen. And when you speak to mountains, they move. And when they recover. And when you command the devil to go, he leaves. He goes running. Man, aren't you ready to give up? Aren't you ready to give up that religious life where you got to make deals and make arrangements with God and God, I'll treat this person right if you do this for me. God doesn't want you to treat somebody right so that God will do something for you because then you're treating a person as an object of your selfishness. Like, I'll treat this person right, Lord, if you do this for me. God doesn't want you to treat people right to get him to do something for you. We should treat people right because we value them, because we value ourselves and therefore we value them. You know, why would anybody hurt somebody else? Well, it's really simple. They don't value that other person's life. And why don't they value that other person's life? Because they really don't value their own. Because if you really value your life, if you really believe in your worth, then you'll believe in other people's worth. And then their life will not become uh, minimized and something that is easy to dismiss. And you won't be so easily dismissive of yourself. Oh, I don't deserve this. And yeah, you're right. We don't deserve anything. That's why God gives us rights. God gives you rights. You have certain rights because you you know what? I have certain rights in this country because I was born here. I have certain rights in this country because I'm a citizen. And that's just an example. And that's not perfect in any country, right? There's many flaws to that. But in the kingdom of God, once you're born again, you have rights in this kingdom. And it's up to you to know those rights and to access those rights. Okay, so we know what they are. Psalm five, verse 12. Look at what it says. For you, O Lord, will bless the 
who? The righteous. Who's the righteous? Why are we the righteous? So you have to you have to have this understanding in your mind so that you can fight the condemnation. When you blow it, oh, I don't have the right. I'm not righteous anymore. Yes, you are. You're God made you that you don't become righteous because you do everything right. You don't lose your righteousness because you do anything wrong. You've been made this and no one can take it from you. So what will who will God bless? The righteous. And what will he bless them with? Favor will surround them like a shield. Favor, favor that. What is favor? That's free gifts. Favor is free doors opening that no man can close. Favor is God opening the door that no man can close. Favor is you getting the job you didn't deserve. Favor is you getting the advancement, you getting the promotion. You say, well, I didn't really deserve that. Exactly. That's why it's favor. When you say, well, when you say to somebody, will you do me a favor? It's really not usually a favor. You say, will you do me a favor? Because if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. That's not a favor. That's a trade. And you can trade anything you want with people, but you can't trade with God. You can only trade one thing, my sin for his righteousness. And now you're now you're now you're cooking. OK, now you're cooking. Now you have rights. What do you have the right to favor? So when you're in a situation where you need God to intervene, you need something miraculous to happen, you need something to turn around, you need something you need. Uh, you need God to avenge you. You need God to make up for the years lost for the worm that, is, that has devoured your years, your stuff. And God, God promises he will restore. That's favor. You don't say, Lord, if I do this and if I do this and if I do this, can I get your favor? No, you can't get God's favor by doing anything. You get God's favor by being righteous. And you can't use that word in any other way than what it means. It means to be made right with God and to have the rights that your God given rights. Favor is a God given right. Healing is a God given right. Look at Malachi chapter uh, right. Malachi chapter four, verse two. Look at what he says. Mal but for you to, who fear my name, the son of righteousness, the son of what? Righteousness shall rise with what? Healing in his wings. So righteousness has healing with it. He, so you say, oh, man, I, I really blew it. I don't deserve to be healed. I, I'm sick. It's that season. It's that time of the year. I always get the flu. I always get this. My back always hurts. I, I you know, my parents had heart disease. I'm going to get it. I've had my parents had diabetes. I'm going to get it. My parents had dementia. I'm going to get it. My grandparents had. Wait a minute. Stop it. And stop claiming your human rights as sons and daughters of your parents and start claiming your divine rights as sons and daughters of God. Healing is a right. It's your right. It's, it's a gift from God, but it's also your right to receive that gift. Take my time. Well, then let me keep going. And you shall go out and you shall grow fat. Hey, getting fat is your right. Somebody needs to say, man, you have the right to get fat. You shall grow fat. 
Now, when he, when he says fat in the Bible, he means prosperous. He means full. He means abundance. You shall be abundant and full like stall-fed calves. What are stall-fed calves? Calves that don't have to run around and scrounge around for food, but they just stay in the stall and somebody brings them food. You just stay in the peace of God. You just stay in the love of God. You just stay in the faith of God and God will bring stuff to you, whatever you need. And you will go out skipping and look at verse three and you go dancing and you and you shall trample the wicked and they shall be ashes under your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord, the day that he does what? The day that he becomes sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. You have the right to healing. So when sickness comes around, don't say, well, yeah, I deserve this. I, I screwed up. I didn't eat right. Well, nobody eats completely right. You know what? So what? How many Doritos does it take for you to deserve sickness? How, I mean, think about it. Oh, man, I had a Dorito. I'm going to die. I deserve this sickness. No, you have the right to healing. I don't care if you ate the whole bag. Because no one just eats one anyway. We know you ate the whole bag. <laughs> but you need to go ahead and claim your right to go to get to grow fat. All right, here, here. Um, <laughs> this is your right. You know, you have the right to wealth. Now, this is something that becomes controversy to Christians. I don't know why. Like, look, let me ask you something. Is salvation in the Bible? Yes. How do you know? Because you read it, right? You know it's in the Bible because you read it in the Bible. Now, so is being wealthy. Now, look, being wealthy doesn't mean based on, okay, I'm going to have, I, I should have as much money as, uh, what's his name at Amazon, Bezos. That's not wealth. That's not the definition of wealth. But wealth is to have enough for you and for others for the purpose to which you've been called. Look, if you look, we all have a calling. We all have a purpose. God doesn't want us broke. He doesn't want us poor. Now, if, if salvation's in the Bible, that's why you believe it. Then if wealth is in the Bible, then you should believe it because it's in the Bible. We're not saying, oh, is this one of those healthy, wealthy uh, churches, health and wealth, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it churches. Well, if the if the alternative is to be poor and broke and sad and defeated and depressed and disgusted and busted, then, yeah, I'd rather be prosperous. But money is not wealth. the presence of God is true wealth. But the presence of God will always bring you whatever you need. But look at what look at what the Bible says. Proverbs 13, verse 22. Proverbs 13, verse 22. Look at what it says here. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So let me ask you something. If you if, if you only have enough for you. Are you able to leave an inheritance for your children's children? But a lot of Christians are like, oh, I only I just just enough for me, Lord, dear Lord, just enough for me. All I need is enough for me. I'm not going to be one of those greedy Christians those selfish Christians that want more, plenty of more to keep in store. No, just give me enough for me, Lord. How selfish is that? Like, how can you help your children and your children's children if you only have enough for you? Right. I think everybody here with any common sense wants to 
be able to have enough for your children and your children's children to be able to make their life a little bit easier and have a little bit easier path than you had. Can, can, can we all agree about that? And the wealth of the sinner is stored up for who? For who? Well, is that really in the Bible? You can't accept the scriptures about salvation and reject the scriptures about God's blessing and God's inheritance and claim that you have integrity. Like I want I take all the scriptures now, we don't understand them all, but we're gaining greater understanding as we study and pray and look up the scriptures and look up the meaning in the context. But man, look, God wants you to have more than enough. This is your right. Now, you can leave your rights on the table or you can say, Lord, I have the right. You stored up. You said the wealth of the sinner stored up for the righteous. I know there's a lot of people without God that have gone on, died. They've left. You know, they've stored up a lot of wealth. It's stored up for me, Lord. I'm expecting it to be transferred to my account. One translation says the wealth of the sinner is transferred to the righteous. There is going to be a transfer. There is going to be a shift. Don't go running out of this church being afraid. Look, God, we're not saying everybody needs to be a millionaire. Everybody needs to be a billionaire. What we're saying is God has made a promise for the righteous that somehow, some way, it's going to end up in your hands. All you've got to do is believe it. Amen. What harm is there to believe this scripture? You can say, no, I don't believe that. Or you can say, yes, I believe it. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I just accept it. I accept the word of God. I believe the word of God. I trust the word of God. Just like healing, just like favor, just like blessing. This is stored up for the righteous. What if I blow it? What if I make a mistake? We all make mistakes and we all blow it. That doesn't make us less righteous. God made us righteous. He would have to make us unrighteous and he's not doing that. Because he already made the exchange. Woo! Somebody's got to say amen here today. Listen, you have the right to being fearless. You have the right to live a fearless life. Look at Proverbs 28, verse one. The wicked flee when no one pursues them, but the righteous, the who? The righteous, the righteous are what? Bold. bold as a lion. You're bold. You have the right to be bold. You have the right to be fearless. You have the right to, to, to make the devil flee. The Bible says submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You have this right for the wicked, the enemy, the devil to flee from you without you having to chase them. Just be righteous. You are righteous in Christ. Just know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ. This is your right. Say, I have the right to God's favor. I have the right to divine healing. I have the right to the blessing of God. I have the right to the, a fearless life. Man, these are your rights. There's so many more. Let me give you a couple more real quick. You have the right. Let's see what else we got. You have the right to victory over sin. You have the right to having victory all the time. Uh, um, first Corinthians two fourteen. Look at or excuse me. Second Corinthians two verse fourteen. Thanks be to God. Second Corinthians two verse fourteen. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. 
He in Christ. Are you in Christ? Therefore, you're the righteousness of God. If you're the righteousness of God, you're, you're in Christ. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. We need to wake up every day expecting victory. Amen. Yeah, but I don't deserve it. Exactly. You don't deserve it, but Jesus deserves it. Amen. And he made an exchange with you and said, every right I have, I give to you. And every wrong you have, I pay for it by becoming sin. Jesus said that Jesus did that. Woo! Say, I have the right. Say, I have the right, have the right. to victory. You have the right to peace. Isaiah 32, verse 17. Look at what it says. Isaiah 32, verse 17. You have the right to peace. The work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Look at this in the Amplified Bible. I think it's pretty powerful in any version. But look at the Amplified Bible. He says, and the effect of righteousness will be peace internal and external. And the result of righteousness will be quietness and confident trust forever. Now, look, this is your right. How do we access our rights? I, I could go on and on. There's so many more of our rights. You can look anytime you find the word righteous in the Bible. That's your right in Christ. But how do we access it? Well, simply we receive it. Right. We receive it through the abundance of grace. Romans 517 through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. We reign in life. So we we receive it. Those who receive those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, those who receive it. So number one, we simply receive it. How do you receive anything from God? By faith. I receive it by faith. I just accept it because God said it. Number two, we believe we believe. Look at what it says in Romans 10, verse nine. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Verse 10. Look at this. He says, for with the heart, man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So how do we access this righteousness? Believe, believe and realize this is what spiritual warfare is. It's to get you to stop believing this. It's to get you to stop believing this. And the third thing we do. So number one, we receive it. Number two, we believe it. And don't let any don't let any devil talk you out of it. Number one, Receive it. Number two, believe it. And number three, speak it. Look at what he says in Romans 10, verse six. Go back a few verses. Romans chapter 10, verse six. He said, and this righteousness of faith speaks. The righteousness of faith speaks. It speaks. So we need to say it. We need to declare, I am the righteousness of God. Therefore, I exercise my right to healing. I exercise my right to blessing. I exercise my right to the favor of God. I wake up expecting it. Therefore, I say it. I decree a thing and it is so. Job said this. I think it's in Job 22, verse 28. I'm just guessing the right verse, but he says, I shall decree a thing 
and it shall be so. I shall decree a thing. You will declare a thing and it will be established for you. Folks, if you remain silent about your rights, you'll remain defeated. But if you will declare it, you'll be established in it and it will be established for you. Amen. Amen. Amen.